thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Download the app today. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, on to the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Ashley and I both get the wholesome box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. So it's you know completely consistent with you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, as well as a vegan box too. Now we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try dinner twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And now that we've sorted out most of our technical issues, um, we would love to introduce you to our superstar of a guest that we are having on the show today. So welcome to Dr. Ali Walker. Ali, welcome to Wellness Win Radio. I would love to take just a little moment to introduce you to our audience properly because you have got such an impressive bio. Um, So Dr. Ali is a human connection and culture scientist, a media a best-selling author, and she also has a PhD in group dynamics from the Australian National University. Ali is also an adjunct faculty is adjunct faculty at the Australian Graduate School of Management at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Um, she's worked in a wide range of, um, you know, organisations, including government, corporate, not-for-profit, including New South Wales and Queensland Health. Google Australia and Westpac, and she's a regular contributor to Australian media on issues relating to wellbeing. So, Ali, I was introduced to you a while ago from our great mutual friend, Kale Brock, ah. uh, because I think that you were also on the Gut movie um, as, as well. And so I've followed you for years and uh, I, I've seen recently you've been talking a lot about connection and empathy 
And then you also had this beautiful new book that's come out this year that we're going to dive into called Click or Clash. Um, But before we get into that, I really want to know more about you because even though that bio is so impressive, I don't think it actually does you justice (laughs) because you have achieved so much. Um, You know, you started your career as a criminal lawyer. Um, How did you morph from that into the work that you do now? Oh, that's a great question. And thank you for having me on today. I'm really thrilled to be here. I always thought I'd be a criminal lawyer. That was my plan. And I left university and started working as criminal prosecutor for the New South Wales Director of Public Prosecutions. And within about six months, it became very clear, probably six days actually, became very clear that it wasn't the job for me. And actually, there is a direct line from that experience to the book I've just written um, because my experience of being a criminal lawyer was that I was having very intense reactions to the environment that I was in. And I didn't necessarily share those intense reactions with the people around me, but I was just having quite strong reactions. So there are lots of people, and I've worked with them since, and I'm friends with a lot of them, who who work in the criminal justice system in, in various capacities. They work in corrections, they work in police, they work in the, the legal side, and they are able to have a sustainable career in those environments. But with me, I was actually having a vicarious trauma response to being in that environment, which means that I was absorbing almost like a homeopathic dose of the people's trauma around me. So instead of having good boundaries and being able to separate my experience from their experience, every person that I encountered, I was just absorbing just a tiny little bit of their trauma without awareness, of course, because no one was talking me through that. Mm -hmm. And so at the time it was a negative experience that I had because I remember calling my husband one day when he was at work and he's a chef and I was on the verge of tears and I'd just been in a horrible victim uh, preparation meeting for trial and she was recounting her experiences and I was about to cry and then I realised this is, oh, my gosh, this is not my trauma, it's her trauma. I get, got her the tissues. But I'm thinking how, how is a human being supposed to be in this situation exposed to these sorts of, these sorts of ideas and experience and not have that kind of reaction? I remember calling my husband after that and saying, you know, in that state of about to cry and I just had a horrible meeting and I just, I'm not sure if this job is right for me and da-da-da-da-da. And then I said, anyway, what are you doing? And he said, peeling potatoes in this way that really brought me down to earth, which is what he tends to do all the time. And it made me realise I don't think you're supposed to cry at work as as often as I was about to cry at work. And I remember saying to a colleague at the time, how do you, how do you process this? How do you feel? How do you get through it? And she sort of looked at me and went, what do you mean? Hmm. What do you mean? And so there was this seed planted of, wow, people respond to things really differently. I know that sounds so obvious, but I didn't have a model, a science, an understanding of of how that is and why that is. So I went off, and I won't go into the, the years in between then and now, but I went off and ended up researching a lot. I wanted to understand systems. I wanted to understand human behavior. I wanted to understand why people behave in that way. Mm. To me, it's not a strange thing that I was there because it is the probably the most negative 
aspect of human connection. I now try to work in positive sides of human connection, but there is a spectrum there absolutely of every relationship we're in. And I ended up, that that culminated in uh, PhD research in, in group dynamics and understanding how groups interact, which led to the model of of what I call our connection type. So every single person has a connection type that they take into every interaction, every group, every social setting. Mm, okay. Um, Ali, just because you brushed on that just then, what can you give us an example of what some sort of connection types are? Sure. So connection types are really easily understood by reference to two elements, frequency and intensity. And what I say to people is the way we've been taught about connection is totally wrong. We've been taught that you either like someone or you don't like someone. It's either comfortable and effortless or it's awkward and uncomfortable. And that's pretty much the extent of the narrative we've all been given about relationships and conversations. And we have very unsophisticated ways of pursuing relationships in the sense that if you don't like someone or you find something awkward, you just think to yourself, oh, I guess I'll just avoid that person for the rest of my life. You know, there's nothing really beyond that. Or if you like someone, there's this kind of curiosity. I want to explore that. I want to spend more time with that person. And I'm I'm actually wanting to change the narrative away from like and dislike and towards frequency and intensity. If you like someone or feel comfortable with someone or you have a natural connection with someone, it's because you have a match in either frequency or intensity. If you don't like someone or feel uncomfortable, it's because you don't match them in either frequency or intensity. And it's probably now appropriate to say what I mean by frequency and intensity. Frequency is simply the, the amount of human connection you want and need in any given setting. It's almost like your appetite. So you go out to a restaurant with a friend and you sit down for dinner and you're starving, right? We have the same appetite for human connection. Some people just have a smaller appetite. So they will have a five-minute conversation and then think, I'm cooked. I want to go home now and just be on my own. Other people will have a five-minute conversation with another person and then they're just getting started. They're ready to talk to someone else and another group and go out and hours and hours. And, and so that's frequency. And we have words like introvert and extrovert for frequency. People would understand that, probably be familiar with their needs in that way. Intensity is a new element. Intensity is more about your emotional tone and the sort of emotional exposure that you are most comfortable with. So if you think of intensity as a spectrum, on the lowest intensity end of the spectrum, you've got someone who's comfortable with very little expression. They probably don't talk much. We'd call, we'd say that they have a great poker face. They don't give much away. And then we move up to politeness or small talk or somebody who is very controlled in the way that they connect. And then you move up again and you get into quite rational and logical conversation, what a lot of people would engage in at work, very factual to the point. And then we move up to letting your guard down, raw disclosure, full disclosure, expressing your emotions, and then finally the extreme of high intensity, which is raw emotion. So all of us, again, have a preference for where we like to live in terms of intensity. So if you meet someone and they go straight into raw emotion, most of us would think, wow, that was too intense. That was too much. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my research, I've done research now with 5,000 people 
and I have enough data to say that our comfort zone of connection is mid-frequency and mid-intensity. So you can you can tell someone's frequency by how much they talk and how fast they talk and the amount of pauses in their speech. So using me as an example, clearly I'm high frequency because I speak quickly. I'm I don't have many pauses and I um, am really eager to get my point across. Intensity, you can tell whether someone is low, mid, or high intensity from their hand gestures, the level of their hand gestures. So if your hand gestures are above your waistline, up in what we call the truth zone of body language, uh, so between the waistline and the shoulders, or above the shoulders, what we call the passion zone of, of body language, you are a high-intensity connector. That's your preference, and you connect primarily through talking. But if you're a mid-intensity connector, you like to stick around rational, logical, you prefer the entertainment rather rather than the emotional side of connection. Um, And it's really interesting to, I interview people all the time and I watch people talk and interact and the mid-intensity people, when it gets intense and people start sharing their emotions, you can see them deflect and say something funny and try to bring it down, try to, no, 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 let's move this down, move the dial down. It's like foosball, you know, we're constantly with our hands on two levers. And so our hands, if we're mid-intensity, are below the waist, but around the thighs. We call that the casual zone of body language. So you're saying, yep, I'm, I'm here, I'm interacting with you, but it's casual. It's not too intense. Um, mid-intensity people, sometimes one hand will come up into the truth zone and then it'll go back down again because that's where it likes to live. Um, if you're low intensity, your hands will be behind your back folded across your chest or in your pockets because that's not your comfort zone of connection. So that in a nutshell, and that's basically what the entire book is about, but uh, that's frequency and intensity. So I just say to people, instead of thinking about, do I like this person or dislike this person, start looking at the signals of connection and whether you feel like another person can mirror you If they can mirror you, you're going to feel psychologically safe in their company. Therefore, you will like them. That's the story you'll tell yourself. If they can't mirror you because their connection type does not resemble yours in any way. So if I go out into the world and I meet someone who's very low frequency and very low intensity, uh, who doesn't give much away, it's going to feel with that person like I'm trying, it's almost like an electrical plug. I'm trying to plug into a source of connection and their plug doesn't fit my plug. Um, that's just what it feels like. And so what we do is say, oh, not a match. Okay, I'll go find someone else who's high frequency and high intensity like me. And that kind of explains our, uh, our that was a lot. I know that was probably intense for some people, um, but that's that's the two elements of your connection type. I love those descriptions and I, I feel like our listeners are probably sitting there judging uh, based on our podcast, Andrew and myself. I can always pick the pick the styles there, the differences in us and why we match in different ways. And it's interesting you were saying about, um, you know, like for like, but would there be an argument to say that we're t- sometimes drawn towards uh, different? Because I would say that I kind of surround myself with people who can ground me a little bit, a bit more because I'm like you. I'm Look at me, my hands go up like I have to talk. I, I can't help it. Like I feel, always got told I was an Italian. I'm like, I'm not Italian. <laughs> I get that a lot actually. People will come up to me after my talks and say, but my culture, you know, my family, that's just the way that we communicate. It's just a high-intensity way of communication. Um, so my research shows that when it comes to 
good. Fr- okay, when it comes to a great first impression, if you really just instantly like someone, you have a match in frequency. That's it. So you probably as animated as each other. You talk as much as each other. You you have a same the same cadence of your connection. So that's yes. your good first impression. To go to the next level and what I call like a friendship click or an intuitive click, a bit deeper, you need to have some kind of match in intensity. So generally with your friends, you don't have to have the same frequency with your good friends, but generally with your friends, you'll have a similar intensity. So my two very close friends, their frequency is lower than mine. I'd say they're around mid. One of them's low. One of them is mid. And, but we, we have very similar intensity. So the conversation feels very easy because we want to stay in the same. It's, it's think about it, think of intensity almost like as a, a pool. And there's the deep end of the pool and the shallow end of the pool. So with friends, we want to swim in the same area of the pool. We want to hang out and do the same stuff. So in the deep end of the pool, you really, it's the eye contact. You're going out for coffee or lunch or dinner and you're really eyeballing each other and you're sharing how you feel and you're analysing and they're sharing how they feel and that's that's your territory, that's your habitat. The lower end of intensity, they're going kayaking together, bike riding, surfing, fishing, they're going to the gym. Um, they're engaging in shared positive experience but they don't necessarily want to have to have a really deeply intense conversation. So it's, it's actually about normalizing and, and not thinking to yourself, if that person doesn't want to come and eyeball me and have a half hour intense conversation, i.e. my husband, it's not that it's not personal to the way that I connect. It's that he has a different connection type. So we actually took, we've been together now almost 17 years and we took a while to realize, oh my gosh, we we need to find our own rhythm because he and I are are not in the same necessarily in the same part of the pool, which brings me to my next point. When you're going for intimate partners or romantic partners, that's when you actually do want to find your complement, not mm. the same. You're not looking for a mirror. With friends, you're basically looking for yourself, which is basically why it can feel less complicated to find a friend than it can to to find a romantic partner. Interesting. Because in a romantic partner, you're looking for an other, not an opposite. People say opposites attract. That's false. My research shows that's false. You can't be too far apart in your connection types, but you're looking for a complement. You're almost looking part. That's why people say you complete me. You're looking for another part of the jigsaw puzzle that fits yours, but it's not the same as yours so that it does make your rough edges feel a bit smoother. It feels like you fit together but you're not the same. Mm. So a lot of married couples or romantic partners will say to me, oh, he doesn't want to talk to me or we don't have anything in common or, you know, I don't don't even feel like we're not necessarily good. Like I get better with my friends than I do with my husband. That's That's not a wrong or a bad thing. It's that you're looking for different types or sources or experiences of connection with this other person because you know, I mean, on an evolutionary level, we're looking to breed. Even if you don't want to have children, there's still a fundamental uh, imperative that you're looking to breed. So you're basically looking to improve yourself in some way. You're looking for a partner who will come along and you're, you're thinking, like in my case, I'm a lot. I've, I talk a lot. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm intense. Maybe a partner who's like me isn't going to be a value add. 
you know, I need to actually have someone who's going to balance me out a bit. Maybe I'm going to look for someone who's mid-frequency, mid-intensity, which is, of course, I didn't have the language for it when I got together with him. I wish I had, but that's what happens. So you find someone who's going to balance you out. So again, you've just got to look at what's my intention here? Is this a first impression? Is this a friend? Is this a romantic partner? I'd put work colleagues in the friend bucket. And then how is that connection going to play out? If someone's not a match with you in any way, it's then about saying, oh, interesting, curious, we're not matching here. How can we find a bridge towards each other to meet somewhere in the middle when we do have to be together? Mm. Ali, you've just touched on so many different things there. And I I just want to take you back. You were talking a lot about friendship and there's something that comes up um, more and more in my female patients um, who are sort of like middle-aged, I guess, um, or they might be... um, they might have kids who are, say, in primary school and they're really, really struggling to make connections or to make friends and they feel like they're back in high school again, you know, in these different cliques and everything else. And it's actually really quite um, stressful for them and shows up in their health, um, you know, in all sorts of different symptoms but also really affects their mental health as well. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that as we get older it's so much harder to connect and and make those really deep, meaningful um, friendships. It's it's so interesting you're asking me this because in every podcast interview at the moment, I get asked this question about yeah. adult mm. friendships. How do you make friends as an adult? And if you think about a time when it was easier to make friends, it was because we were at school or university or in some kind of working context where you were seeing the people or the person regularly. And that structure was built into the environment. You didn't Mm. actually have to constantly seek out the connection. And so I want people, if you're feeling lonely or if you're feeling like you're struggling with your adult friendships and relationships, you first of all, that's a normal response because you're no longer having the structure where the environment is doing most of the work for you. And in fact, if you think about how we've evolved, we are at a time in history where we are encountering social problems Mm. of a type and scale that we have never encountered in our history. We used to live in villages of approximately 150 to 250 people and your friends, in inverted commas, were just the people of the same sex around your age and that was it Mm. and they were your friends for life. You didn't have to wonder where they were going, if they were going to move overseas, if someone was going to move. That was how we were, you know, a few hundred years ago. And that's how we've evolved over time in tribes. Relationships aren't supposed to be effortful. You're not supposed to have to, hold on, but are you going to Pilates or are you going to go to the 12 o'clock one or are you going to, oh, but that doesn't suit me with my kids. Like it's hard work now. It really, really is. So for people feeling like it's hard work, it's because it is we're not built for this. We have to actually reframe the way we think about friendships. So the best advice I can give is to actually just base your friendships on regular meetups, whatever form they take. And they will take a different form depending on the personality that you have. Join a mixed netball team. That's something that I've done recently with some friends that I already had and knew and liked. Um, but it's just it just means I get to see them every week now. 
Um, go to it. Go to the same thing. Even if you don't have a friend in a particular gym class, exercise class, yoga class, whatever it is, just go to the same thing. Develop a routine of your own. People don't talk about this enough. Mm. You make friends. You make connections based on predictable behaviour because people actually don't want to invest in someone who they don't, who they can't predict. The reason we have strong relationships with our family is because we see them every day. That's the basic fact. When you see someone every day, there's something about your psychological safety where you can just relax into that and think, I know they're going to be home tonight, so I'm not going to worry too much or overthink this. Problem with our adult friendships is that we know deep down that we need them because actually, and particularly for women, we need strong core friendships and the women that do have those have much better health outcomes over the lifespan so absolutely I encourage people to invest in your friendships it's also completely natural we're in a time where the narrative we've been given about marriage is that if you think of connection like a pizza marriage we were told was seven of the eight slices of that pizza you're, you're meeting your other, meeting your romantic partner, whether it's marriage or just finding a love partner, was supposed to fulfill all of our needs. I think you get to middle age, a lot of people have had their children, they may have, they may still be with their original partner, they may not be. And a lot of people start, it's, it's kind of a time where you start looking over the fence like, hey, what's going on outside my immediate and, and, and you start exploring connections outside your, yourself, partner and children if you have them. And that's extremely healthy. The reason people feel like they're back in high school is because it's new. You have to have that beginner's mindset. Be gentle with yourself. You probably do feel a little bit. My, my son just started a new school this year. I've got two sons. Um, one's in year five, one's in year one. Um, my son in year five just started a new school and he'll continue that school from year five up to year 12. Of course, I felt like I was back in year seven as well, meeting all the different uh, people, new social groups. Everyone's trying to work out the lay of the land. I mean, we're all just tribal animals. We're all figuring out our place and that's completely appropriate. So in a way, I want to say to people, it's all normal. Uh, I overthink it as well. It's it's a, just a natural part of developing relationships. Do you remember how much you overanalyze the behavior of the people that you fell in love with when you were younger. This is just another extension of that, but persist with it. Try to focus on some predictable routines. Try to develop friendships around just doing the same thing. Even if it's meeting, go for quantity over intensity with friendships. So after school pickup, let's just go for a five minute or 10 minute coffee before we have to rush off and go to work. Or just something, half an hour. I think people think when you see your friends, it has to be a big night out and a big event, but go for smaller, more frequent meetups rather than big, intense, all night events. That's what, that's the best advice I could give. And if you like someone and you have an initial connection with someone, don't be afraid. You need to be courageous. I remember in year eight, one of a friend I still have, one of my very close friends, yeah, eight, we're on the train. We're both going home. And she said, oh, I'd love to, we should do something one time. We should hang out. I said, yeah, I'd love that. And she said, well, I can come over now if you want. And I went, sure. Okay, great. And so we got off the train and I rang my mum from the train station. Is it okay? My friend, sure. She can come over. And, and she just spontaneously, she had the courage to say that. 
So if you're not like my friend and she's on the very confident end, I think it's just about putting it out there to people and saying, I'm doing this if you want to join. No pressure. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And if you're doing something consistently um, that you enjoy doing, people over time will start going, oh, yeah, actually, I might try that out. So focus on your your interests. What do you love doing? What lights you up? And then people will will follow if you have the courage to to let them in. I love all the things you've mentioned about that common interest, you know, that commonality. And that's sometimes where we can diverge a little bit from our partners where we've been with them for a long time. I noticed I've been sort of having conversations with uh, with ladies recently talking about that idea that oh, they're, they're more comfortable and having better chats with their friends than they do with their partners. And I think, you know, it's again a reminder to remember where our values and our, our fulfilment comes from, that it's okay to have fulfilment from lots of different buckets, um, that we need to seek that diversity in our, our relationships so that we can like feel completed in our life but we can't be expecting one person to fill that entire role um and that's that that role of friendships what just on on you mentioning how you know you've got to put yourself out there and i think there's another thing a lot of people do feel like and then we get that sense of rejection what tools do you recommend people are you know are utilizing or exploring because as an adult, honestly, you know, you, you feel like you've invested in something and then it could be a girlfriend, it could be a male friend, it doesn't matter who. All of a sudden there's this like rejection point and it's like, oh, I, but I thought things were okay and I, I don't understand and they're both, you know, I, particularly women, I feel like a lot of women I talk to have the same feeling of like it feels like they're dating again but I'm getting rejected and it hurts. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's horrible. So I, the, I, I can't say anything other than sit with that because every everyone would feel the same under the circumstances. There's no silver bullet for that horrible feeling. I've had it as well. And it, it almost, I think the problem is that we go into shame about I shouldn't be feeling this because I'm I'm 40 or 40. Like I, I this is embarrassing. Like I can't believe I put myself in this situation that I'm um, being rejected or feeling like someone's broken up with me and they're a friend and, and nothing's been said. Um just know the reason it hurts so much, the reason that it, it really hits us, you know, in the pit of your stomach is because we have this evolutionary impulse to connect. So connection is our, is our number one psychological need. Hmm. And I don't use the word need lightly. The need is something that if you don't fulfill it, you will stop thriving and eventually not survive. It's hmm. a need. So yes, it's, it's not like food and water but it's a psychological need. So you can have food and water, but without connection, you won't, or you eventually won't survive. Mm. It'll just be a much longer decline. I know that sounds a bit, you know, a, 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 um, a negative thing to say, but I'm trying to impress upon everyone. That's why it hurts so much because it's really getting to the heart of our greatest psychological need. Mm. So if you have a friend and you feel like your greatest psychological need is being met, and then that feeling, all the oxytocin, all of the serotonin, all of the, the beautiful positive brain chemicals that are released by time with that person, when they're removed, it's almost like a, an alarm goes off in our brain that that something is wrong, like a fire alarm. Like, that's what that painful mm. feeling mm. is. Mm. And so when people are feeling all of the emotions of shame, rejection, abandonment, also by this age we've tended to accumulate a lot more experiences 
and our brains are designed and packaged in terms of, of bundles of association. So if you have an experience of rejection at, at this time in your life, what it's going to do is activate every experience of rejection you've ever had in your life. So that's why it can feel quite overpowering the older you get and the further along you get. It might not it might be out of proportion even to the event. But what it's doing is it's activating that area of rejection or abandonment in your brain. Mm. So it's completely normal. I, I, I know I keep saying it's normal. I, I, it, at the time it can feel very abrupt and hurtful and raw, but the reason, but don't give up. You know, the, the reason that we are seeking these connections out is because that we know it's going to give us greater longevity, greater health, greater happiness, greater well-being. Um, so definitely go, that's why I'm saying stick stick to the, the shorter hobby-based, I don't even like the word hobby. If someone said to me, oh, what are your hobbies? I go, I don't have any. I'm <laughs> like a panic. Common interest. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Common interest. I, Find the things that you like to do. Yes. And then just suggest to someone whose company you enjoy um, that you'd love them to join you with, with no strings attached, no pressure. There's there's someone who, I mean, I, I go for a walk with someone every two to three months and just one of us, it'd be great to go for a walk or do you want to go for a walk soon? And other people I'll meet for coffee. That that's the thing that we do. Like you, you might have a different thing that you do with with different people, um, but I think over time, also know that you know I was talking about intensity before. Those intense friendships, the intense relationships, are the are likely to be the ones that hurt the most if they end or if they become complicated. Hmm. The ones that are mid intensity, like if I meet someone through the mixed netball team, and that's the extent of our friendship. If that ends. There's probably not going to be much thought given to it. Probably go, oh, okay, because it's a it was a low intensity friendship to start with. But if you have a high intensity friendship with, and you've shared a lot and you've spent a lot of time together, and it feels like a lot's gone on, if that ends or, or becomes a bit more complex, that's going to hurt more. So just be aware of the intention behind your friendships. Like, what do you want? Um, what what do you want out of a friend and what's going to make you feel good? And also there's different cycles of your life that different people will come in. I know there's that, like, there's a friend for every season and I, I know that sounds like a corny card or something, but it's true. There will just be different people in your life at different times and then cycles will change and that's okay too. But please don't, don't kind of retreat and withdraw and think oh well I tried that I tried making a new friend as an adult and that didn't work for whatever reason you just need to try again and and I just say to people there is no silver bullet but knowing who you are and and seeking out people with common interests is always going to work well in the end yeah, Ali, I couldn't agree more um, because especially for women, you know, we do have this biological imperative to have those close, meaningful um, relationships and, and girlfriends because of how our stress responses, you know, work and how they're a little bit different to men's as well. And I think that you've written about um, that that study from UCLA as well, where women tend to go into that tend and befriend sort of default rather than the fight or flight um, sort of picture that men do when we're stressed. So we absolutely need 
um, we need friendships, we need connection, we need um, we need women, I think, as well, which is so, so important. Um, yeah. Ali, this has been the easiest uh, <laughs> podcast ever. I love it. Um, it's so great. You've just sort of taken everything and ran with it and you've literally answered all my questions. I just want to, um, and not to sort of go into doom and gloom or anything like that, but just to sort of put some perspective on this as well. We've obviously just come out from the other side of COVID and particularly in certain parts of the world. And I think, uh, Ali, are you in Melbourne? I'm in um, Sydney. Oh, you're in, in Sydney. Um, you know, some of our friends who obviously went through COVID in Melbourne where they couldn't see their family members who lived, you know, just a suburb away from them. Um, and I don't know if they've entirely recovered from that disconnection. No, still trauma, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Is there any um, any advice that you would give, um, you know, to them, or uh, is there any um, anything that you would just want to comment on that? Um, because I do just see it. If the longer it goes on, the more normalised it becomes, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, it just concerns me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was deeply concerned at the time when they were talking about, so they're saying, oh, we have a public health epidemic, so we're going to um, lock everyone down and prevent human connection. And knowing the research, I was thinking that's the worst thing you can do. In fact, mm-hmm. human connection can improve your immune system immune, yeah. and make you heal faster and can do all, it has all sorts of physical health benefits that were being totally overlooked at the time. And obviously mm-hmm. benefit of hindsight and it's easy to say now at the time there was a, they were under a lot of pressure to make some really difficult decisions. Um, but what it did was it took all of those um, those awkward feelings that people can sometimes have, sometimes have those anxious feelings about connection, and it made connection an option, you know, a, a thing that you could opt out of. For the first time in history, you could opt out of connection. Do you want to come into the office or do you not want to come into the office? Do you want to come to this social event or do you? And I think for a, for a lot of people who are mid to low frequency, they were probably quite relieved for a while. I know some introverts who just loved just a bit of lockdown. I love normal life. I, I love normal life because you have you constantly have an option to to go out to do what you want. But some people just when when all of those pressures of connection were removed, I think we need to remember that that some people just naturally have a lower frequency than others, and so they lockdown for them just suited them very very differently. And and some people were just happy. Oh, I'm happy at home with my family. I was not. I am happy with a range of social groups and social experiences. So we, I think we need to start there. And even, But even if you're low frequency, it's still beneficial for people like that to be able to go out into the world and even if they're not directly connecting with someone, they can hear people, see people, feel normalised by people. It's almost like the bumpers in the when we go bowling, you know, you have bumpers up to prevent you from going down the sides. That's what being out in the world does for us. And so I think the the thinking behind lockdown was it'll be okay because everyone will just be in their homes and everyone's safe in their homes. But in fact, what we worked out really quickly was actually home for a lot of people is not the comfort zone. The comfort zone for a lot of people is just being out and and being in different spaces. Mm. So for people who are forced into that situation, it's the definition of a trauma because if you have your your capacity to meet one of your needs 
taken away and actually penalties put on that, that is the definition of trauma. And so people are going to be affected by that trauma in different ways based on what I was just saying, if you're low, mid or high frequency. If you're a high frequency person, and I remember having Zooms with people in Melbourne at the time for work, and I remember one of my colleagues who is also a speaker, he was trying to release his book. He was living alone in Melbourne. And I had a few different meetings with him online. And over the course of about three months, I saw his mental health seriously deteriorate Mm. as a result of of the situation that he was in. And then the question becomes, well, how long does it take to recover from that? Well, it just depends how long. It's like how people grieve differently. People process trauma very differently. And I think a lot of life decisions were made as a result of, of that experience, some positive, some negative. I think the unrest in the world that we've seen in the couple of years since is actually a direct response to the trauma that everyone experienced. And we're still seeing the fallout, absolutely. We're seeing the fallout in, I don't know if you have noticed this, just people seem to have a hair trigger now. It's just instead of having the the more layers of, of our resilience, we got worn quite thin. And so people are, are, are very now, I think, a little bit more fragile. Yeah, we, I always talk to clients about, you know, we're set in survivalism now. You know, instead of that zone where we were we were like thriving and we were nourished, we were fulfilled, all of a sudden that stripped away there and suddenly we're in survivalist, you know, experiences again. A lot of people have had trouble unpacking that protective mechanism they had to enforce on themselves in order to survive through something extremely unusual, uncomfortable and foreign to their personal life experiences. Um, and this is also just like leading into something which is what I um, – I'm talking to a lot of people about is the healing and and the environment you associate yourself with. You're creating incredible events to allow people to return to connection, aren't you? Tell yeah. us a bit about that because I think Great. I wish you had someone in Perth. I was a kind of envious of my East Coast <laughs> friends. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I'm, I'm so thrilled to be involved in this actually. So I get to host this. It's called Viva Health and Wellness Festival and it's happening in March next year. Yeah, so wonderful. It's just a matter of Googling Viva Festival. I think it's just vivafestival.com.au. But there's a whole lot of people coming from around the world. To oh, speak your speakers funny. are incredible. Oh, my goodness. How well, did you it, pull all these people together in a well, live I, setting? I, it's so amazing. This is, um, this is, the organiser is Tara King and yeah. she's incredible. But she's been she's managed to – so Hugh Fernley Whittingstall. Yeah. I would never, ever know this guy if it wasn't for my husband. So my husband's a chef, as I said earlier. Yeah. And he, if you might have heard of the River Cottage. He's foodie guru. Yeah. yeah, and, so yeah. Either, and so I rang my husband <laughs> and I said, oh, guess what? Because this is almost like he's he just is fanboy. Just Band- <laughs> when we first got together, he had his DVDs, the River Cottage DVDs. I love it. <laughs> and I said, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get to – you can meet him. Um, so, yes, it's it's very exciting. And there's some incredible people. Johan Hari talking about Stolen Focus, is the he, that's his latest book. Mm. Yeah, so it'll be. I think it'll be really amazing. There's parenting, there's gut health, there's the future of health, there's um, genes, there's psychology, happiness, everything that you would expect from a health and wellness festival. 
Brilliant. Exciting. Uh, well, I can't wait to hear more about that as well as uh, as the months go ahead. I've already seen a few little promos, which is exciting. And uh, for all our East Coast guests, make sure you pop in. And uh, these are the sorts of events we encourage our, our guests to, to go to because this is how you find your tribe. You know, you meet people with common interests, the people who love good quality food, you know, holistic living, uh, making choices that helps to, you know, improve their own family health, but uh, also the health of the community. I've noticed so many people who thrive when they see, oh, my gosh, that was, you know, I met that so-and-so that they are at that cafe down the road for me. And you just sort of start to see exactly what you mentioned, this desire for human connection. And suddenly we see people around us loving the same stuff as us. And it's inspiring. It's exciting. Yeah. It's, you know, lights that spark within us, particularly when we're feeling a little bit adrift after, you know, a crazy series of years. Absolutely. And what I'd say to people is we're all familiar with having to heal personally when things happen to us. But probably this is for many of us the first time we've had to collectively heal a trauma. And there are people from lots of different cultures around the world who have already had to, unfortunately, go through a process of collecting the collective healing. But for many people in Australia, this may be the first time. And so we are in that collective healing process. And that's why I think human connection is is feeling a little bit fragile and delicate and vulnerable. So it's, it's a matter of normalising absolutely and just having the courage to keep going. Uh, Ali, I think what a beautiful sort of spot to finish up on there, I think. Um, can you just let us know where can our listeners find out more about you? Where can they find your latest book, Click or Clash? Sure. Just if you go to my website, awalker.co, or I'm on Instagram and Facebook as Dr. Ali Walker. Awesome. Uh, Ali, thanks so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio today. Um, this was such an interesting conversation. And even just as you were talking about different, you know, connection types, I'm like psychoanalyzing, like, I wonder what my husband is. And <laughs> how I'll, send you, I'll send you both a link actually to, oh. to make the assessment. It's free. There's an assessment that comes free with the book. Oh, Amazing. Great. And we'll I'll make sure we the link. Yeah, you can Thank find out you. exactly what your type is. And we'll pop that in the show notes for um, the listeners as well so they can um, click on that directly and also psychoanalyze, you know, their husbands and their girlfriends. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, again, thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.